Have we talked about alien people before? Specific aliens? No, but um, in Strange New Worlds, there was a character that looks human, but is an alien. In the Strange New Worlds, the Star Trek reboot? Yep, yep. Okay. Well, and there's the theory that we are, you know, the alien theory that we're byproducts. We're like a crossbreed between the primates that were here and some alien race. Interesting. That's why we are so much more evolved or different from other similar species. Sure. But that seems like a stretch. Like, I'm equally as likely to just believe that we evolved this way. Like, I don't think that there's really all that much of a difference in... Well, because look at the speed of evolution, right? It's not fast. It seems pretty stagnant. Like, we have the same size brains as, like, our, like, super ancient ancestors. I, and I, this is, of course, probably another episode, but, like, octopi, they... The theory now is that the reason they're so different from other sea life is because an asteroid, this is like, I don't know how viable this theory is. An asteroid hit Earth, which caused like a viral infection, which made the octopus, I guess, probably was a sea creature, but this viral infection caused them to evolve differently from other sea life. Sure, sure. I mean, maybe it's like that for humans. Yeah, yeah, that's possible. But at the same time, like, just doesn't feel like I don't. We've said this about a couple of things, but like, I don't think it matters. Like, yeah. Well, at the end of the day, I don't think it matters. Yeah. Like, like, if we were all being visited every day by like our alien overlords, or like they were on our TV set, like we own you, you're our slaves. That they're like that boss that just like never comes to the office. So you're like, I guess we can do whatever we fuck we want today. To Sex with Ghosts. I'm Molly, and I'm here today with uh, alien expert Bridget. Hello. And today we're talking about people who could be aliens, maybe. Or at least one person. One person, maybe a couple people, who might have been aliens. Definitely a lot of scam artists going on. That's true, which is fair. There's a lot of that in the, the scene. I feel like I, when I was researching this, like, I didn't want anything to be fake. Mm, yeah. I want, and I wonder if part of these, like, I, I don't know, sometimes, like, people like this, you wonder, like, are they doing it out of some, like, a misguided attempt at being like, this is real and I want other people to believe it's real, so I'm going to fake it. Or if it's, like, just straight up scam. Oh. Or... Is it, I know I say this a lot, is it a product of lead and head injuries? Yeah. And an interesting part of the story is all, every single article I read mentioned how high up Mount Palomar is. (laughs) Did you see that? Yeah. Because isn't it a comparison to Venus, which is going to be an important 
somewhat important detail. See, I wasn't sure if they were trying to say, oh, all these people were like lightheaded. You know, they were like, oh, because I in the right minds. <laughs> well, I saw something that was like this altitude would be like normal in, uh, in Venus. 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 OK, well, so, that could be it, too. If you didn't see that, then maybe that is what's going on here. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I, do. I wasn't quite sure what they were going for because it didn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, we don't know how much these people were drinking. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe they were a little bit. Although I hate saying that as an excuse to why the aliens don't exist. But yeah, but at the same time, like if you ever go to the mountains, got to be careful. Uh, things things are different up there. You really do notice the difference. Yeah, we went to the San Bernardino Mountains once and it was an absolute trip. Because they're in the middle of the desert. So you're like driving for miles in shitty desert. And then you get to the top of this mountain and all of a sudden you are in what Disney World wishes it was. And it's like, whoa, this like trees smell like butterscotch. Everything is like beautiful, beautiful sights. Just like a lot of greenery. It's different. Sure. Um, But today's topic is also specifically about... Uh, an incident. Yes. Uh, it happened on August 7th and 8th of 1954 on the top of Mount Palomar in the United States. Uh, I can't remember exactly where it was, but it's close to California. I think it's in Arizona. Oh, that's a good question. I feel like. No, it isn't. It's in San Diego County. Yeah, I was like, I so feel like it was in California. California. I couldn't remember. Yeah, I think I did read something about that. <laughs> this was the site of a UFO convention drawing thousands of people, allegedly. I wrote it allegedly because it's like, I mean, it sounds like it was a viral sensation of 1954. But then it's like you try to do research on it. And I feel like you could tell everything came from the same source material. Absolutely. But well, we just didn't record things as well back then, it seems. Or we haven't, you know, scanned all the old-timey magazines and such. They're not in the interweb where we do primarily most of our research. Yeah, it's true. But it did include international journalists, FBI agents, UFO witnesses, and general onlookers. This convention was headed by the three most renowned, I think at the time, and considered reliable contactees. Contactees being those who had some sort of contact with aliens prior and i'm actually gonna go into a little bit about each of them or two of two of them that isn't about today's main story just to give background on these knuckleheads so (laughs) this convention was headed by george and then truman bethram and daniel fry so these guys really don't have to do with the incident of 1954, but to kind of give you an idea of who's running this racket, um, I'm going to start with Truman. And he was born in 1898, which I feel like anytime you see the 1800 year and someone's birthday, it's just like insane. Yeah, that's, that is really insane. Um, but he was from Riverside County, California, which... Isn't that far from L.A.? He and the other funny thing about him being like born in 1898 is like his father was a blacksmith. Yeah. I mean, this guy lived through two world wars. Yeah. 
Like that's in, that's insane. He, and Vietnam. The time the whole time period thing. Like, yeah, he's just dealing with a lot. This guy saw some shit. He did. His father was a friggin' blacksmith. <laughs> His parents separated when he was four. He seems normal-ish. Like he was able to find a wife to marry him in 1922, who he had two daughters with. But by 1943, he had divorced her and then he married his second wife in 1945. And, you know, he worked all kinds of jobs as a journeyman engineer and also in construction. He became a member of the International Union of Operating Engineers. I think this stuff is kind of fascinating because I feel like to be an engineer, you had to be, you have to know math. Like you didn't, and even more so then than now, because now you have calculators. Yeah. Like pocket size calculators. But I do think it's kind of different because I think any guy who just showed up could be an engineer. No, I think, I think you have to be trained and stuff, but I don't think you're necessarily like, it's more like they're operating things, which is by the operation part of engineer. Like a machine or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was employed as a truck driver and a mechanic. And then later in his life, which will probably make sense as we get into the details, he became a self-proclaimed spiritual advisor. He, he went through a lot. This guy, he's kind of a jack of all trades. So he published for the first time in what would have been considered a magazine and newspaper, the Redondo Beach Daily Breeze (laughs) on September 25th, 1953. And this is where he counts being contacted on 11 separate occasions and contacted by UFOs. And the first one he says was in July, 1952. And it was by a crew who seemed human-like and this was near Mormon Mesa in the Mojave Desert of Southern Nevada and he kind of developed this relationship with the super hot ship captain Aurora Rains. Now that definitely sounds like it could be a hallucination. <laughs> oh, a hallucination. That but was also what I was thinking. <laughs> Like him spending all this time in the desert. Mm. You're probably dehydrated. Yeah, that's that's kind of my first guess rather than no, there were aliens in the desert. I mean, have you spent a lot of time in the desert? No, I try to avoid it. They, The desert, I think, is like a spooky place. Yeah, that like, too. Yeah, no, totally. Even if you're hydrated, it's like something feels sort of different here. It's scary. Yeah. Well, he claims that this UFO and its crew who spoke colloquial English came from the planet Clarion, which was on the other side of the sun, which is why you couldn't see it from Earth, ah. which <laughs> probably leaves more questions than answers. Absolutely. Now, my biggest question right now is if Clarion is a city in California. I'm sure it is now. It's probably named after yeah, his weird fair. shit. What I'm thinking is maybe he was hallucinating. He actually literally met someone that who said they were from Clarion, made up the kind of adjusted the details in his brain. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like a George Glass move. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, that classic Brady Bunch reference that people still use. So he wrote a book called Aboard a Flying Saucer in 1954. And in this book, he gave many details of his suffering of skeptics. Although I don't know if that sentence actually just means that because he wrote the book, he wrote it in spite of the skepticism. Either way, he wrote a fucking book and he wrote a lot about this hottie. That's just weird. That part is just weird. Well, it's just like, this is where it's like, is this just you writing soft porn? Right. Yeah. That's like fan fiction. Except yeah. For fan it fiction. Actually it's UFO fan fiction. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I wish I met this, this hottie. Yeah. This is what I think about when I touch my D. So even though... He was, I guess, considered reliable and a contactee for the convention that we're going to talk more about. He still had a lot of like serious UFO researchers and investigators dismiss his stories. It sounds like he would be a fun person to have at a convention because he could tell his fun story about the hot alien. But like, if you're actually thinking about seriously researching it, that that is two separate things completely. I also feel like, too, most... People, not all people, but most people, if you really found this hot alien, I would think the average American is like, I don't think I can tell anyone about this. So for you to be like, not only writing a book, but being like, I'm going to hold a whole convention where I'm the star of the show. Yes. Come on. Maybe you're a little off your rucker. Yeah, a little. I think I could be judgmental. So at this point in time, there are a lot of contactees that are kind of leaders in this movement. Like there was one name that came a lot up a lot, George Bant Tassel, which I did not go into his story because then I was like, then we're really getting off the rails. But it seems like there's like a group of these guys who all are like, yeah, I've met somebody. And Bathroom goes as far as facilitating this group that ends up calling Sanctuary of Thought, which definitely doesn't sound like a cult. That definitely sounds like a cult. <laughs> it's a philosophical group. Also sounds like a cult. Near Prescott, Arizona, which I think we're still in the desert. Oh, sounds yes. like a place for a cult. <laughs> and he claims he has, you know, physical evidence of the ETs, which he never showed anyone, at least publicly. Of yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And he had like the panties from oh, Captain Orange. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, no wonder the real UFO researchers were like this guy. Also, I'm sure you didn't call him panties, though, because that would <laughs> that would give it away. You know, aliens don't yeah, wear panties. They wear exactly. something else. And why do a weird name? Why, I mean, I, I don't even know why I'm asking this question, but why are they speaking colloquial English? Does it make any sense? I don't sense? know. It's a very specific detail. Yeah. It's like, okay. Like, what do you, what do you, <laughs> you just add adi- adjectives and make your story more believable? <sighs> I said it was a red car. You didn't just say it was a car. Um, he wrote more books. He wrote The Voice of Planet Clarion. He wrote Facing Reality. And he wrote The People of Planet Clarion, uh, which was published after his death. This last book, the first 44 pages were an autobiography that he was covering um, his life up to 1953. He had artist Columba Krebs write the afterward. To be honest, I don't really know who Krebs is. But according to him, he claimed that 
Bathroom was so obsessed with Captain Reigns that he hired a secretary, physically resembled his description of the sex of the sexy alien. That's real messed up. Yeah. Well, it's even more messed up because his second wife divorced him oh. in 1955, citing jealousy over Captain Aurora Reigns in the divorce petition. Yeah, because if you're husband is obsessed with someone who does not exist. Well, yeah, I feel like the word really isn't jealousy as much as it is. Um, it's his mental illness. Yeah, he's 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 not going to be there for her. Yeah, Smith sounds unstable. And he did marry a third time before dying. So Jeez. Wow. I think the guy could lay pipe. Well, and also he sounds like if he is he published three books he had someone assisting him who was like egging him on. He almost seems he's close to cult leader status at this point. That's well, and that's what I was thinking is that uh, the Scientology guy, what's his name? Uh, Elrond. Elrond. That's like how Elrond got to start. Yeah. Yeah. Right. In and Daniel Fry, fiction. the other guy who's running this convention, isn't much better. He's from, okay, so he's originally from Minnesota, Verdon Township. Okay. But he does move to South Pasadena with his grandmother in California uh, in late teen 1919. So he's also very old. He's also very old. He not as old as our other friend, Botherum or whatever the hell. Um, but he, I guess, is an orphan, ends up in the care of his grandma. She's like, we're moving to Pasadena. So, you, so we're all by your uncle Walter. And so he lives there for the next 35 years, which what's kind of fascinating about Pasadena. I don't know if you know this, but did you know Pasadena is kind of where like early rocket research started? I did not know that, though. It kind of rings a bell with the Obama on Mars thing, because I think that they were they talked a were little out of Pasadena College it, or something. Yeah, I think it was cl close by there. So it, it's not surprising to me that that might be an area of study in the area. And it's the, when I was living in LA, I don't remember why I looked this up, but it's one of the, so you have the entertainment industries, like one of the biggest industries of LA, but Pasadena's biggest industry is like rocket science. Very interesting. So he's around the whole beginning of this, which is, a, we could do like Alan Parsons. I feel like we talked about him before we have who basically helped that blow up. But so he's there. He's doing all this. He's after uh, World War II, he moves to Oregon to find a way to make a living. He, because he had worked with Edmund Sawyer at Crescent, which I think Crescent is... Some sort of a rocket company. Yeah. I'm sure I'll come up again. Uh, he basically gets this job with Aerojet setting up instrumentation to test rockets at test range in the White Sands, New Mexico, which is going to be his whole thing. But yeah, so another smart dude who obviously, if he doesn't know math and science, he at least knows how to blow shit up. Mm -hmm. And so he has this incident in White Sands, which I'll get in more detail about. But basically, it's like there's these events. 
that kind of end up changing his whole life. So after 1919, Daniel Fry turned his working knowledge of explosives into jobs. And so he gets deep into this rocket stuff like Crescent and he becomes known as like, or works as a, what's called a powdered man, which is an explosive supervisor. He gets jobs such as the Salinas Dam near San Luis, San Luis Obispo. Uh, which is kind of, is that right? In the middle between the two of us? Uh, it's a little, a little, a little farther south from me. So, oh, it's south of you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it's close enough. We, we could all drive there. Yeah. Yeah. So that is a basic magnesium corporation. And then he works on the Pan American highway in Honduras. And so he's like a guy he's out hustling, but He's at some point he starts claiming that he had made multiple contacts with an alien who and took a ride in a remotely piloted alien spacecraft around July 4th, 1949. Now, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about lead, mm-hmm. but but is there anything in the desert that might start to cause a person to go? Yes. Okay. Radiation. Okay. So okay. That that was my thought. Especially, mm-hmm. yeah, being in New Mexico. Was that other? Was our other guy in Arizona? One yeah, point? yeah. So these are places where, like, the government was testing, right? The right the A bomb. Sure, sure. That's funny though, because I thought you were going to say, "Is there something in explosives?" But yeah, so in the desert in America, and probably in explosives, is is material that has like high radiation. Yeah. So maybe it's radiation poisoning these boys maybe. have. Maybe. I guess he's in New Mexico. He basically is this incident starts with him planning on going to some evening festivities nearby in nearby Las Cruces. He misses the last bus. Uh he finds the bachelor officer's quarters. Is that a military thing? Um, I think it looks like it's not, but it, I mean, it's kind of like how, like in the railroad episode we just did where it's like back in the day when these corporations would just have housing, housing for their people. And it's just for like single dudes. Yep. Yep. He's too hot. So he decides to explore a path in the desert where he had never been down before. That okay. sounds like a hallucination. This all sounds very hallucinant. So he goes down this path and then he claims that a high obulate spheroid <laughs> and that's in quotations. So I guess it must be what he fucking called it. Landed sure. in front of him. So we're talking 30 feet diameter and 16 feet high. So that's pretty girthy. That's pretty yeah, big. Yeah. Yeah. And he says that he talked remotely with the pilot who operated the craft from a mothership 900 miles above Earth, which okay. is also very interesting. Mm-hmm. I feel like I should Google what was 900 miles from Earth. Mm, that's an interesting question. Like, how far away is the moon? I think farther than that. When the moon is closest to the Earth, it's 225,000. 623 miles away. Like, that sounds like it would take years to get to. Yeah, yeah. these boys did it in a week? Well, I mean, rockets are very powerful, I guess. I guess. Uh, Well, Fry claims he was invited um, aboard and flown over New York City. So, how's that for our first date? 
that's a that's a weird choice, but sure. And he, and he gets back in 30 minutes. So also sounds like a hallucination. But you just said rockets are really fast. Uh, he's in a yeah. You're right. You're right. UFO. You know he he says that the pilot's name was Alon, which is really funny because it's just spelled like Alan. <laughs> so I mean that's a choice. Um, and Alon gives Fry information on physics. The prehistory of Earth, including Atlantis and Lemuria and the foundations of civilization. All in 30 minutes. No, I guess. And during subsequent meetings. Well, yeah, you're right. But it's kind of like what we were saying before. I don't know if that was the same thing where stuff was talking about in the intro where it came from, but seems likely. So, of course, as we know, Fry went public with his story. But they did do a polygraph examination at some point of his claims, and he definitely failed. So that means that he didn't even believe his story. Because if it had been a hallucination, then he probably would have believed it stronger. Oh, well, uh, don't those tests just measure like a change? Yeah. So, well, I mean. So maybe you're extremely like scared or shameful. Yeah, maybe. If you know maybe, it's a hallucination. Maybe he talked to the pilot, but the pilot also told him something he wasn't supposed to share with anyone. Uh-oh. And that made him freak out. I don't know. He learned about the end a few minutes. Some of these, this, for some reason, both of these stories, just like, I, I think it's just like the time period and these the details within the story just feel like. I mean, it was harder to dox people back then. Yeah. Like yeah, now. Yeah. You come out with something and people are like, they are doxing. It's crazy. There's a story lately. Did you see the one that was like, this woman talks about how she lived with a Victoria's Secret model around 2014 who had like these very like terrible hygiene, lied about her, her past, stole things from her friends, including like stories that they would tell about their life. She'd be like, that happened to me. And she'd tell other people that. And then she got like kicked out of the model apartment, which totally sounds like a whole movie. And the worst part about it was like the, she carried around the suitcase that had like stolen underwear of the other models she lived with. And also like what looked like turds. Oh no. So no. People are trying to like get this woman to dox her and like give more details so oh, someone God. can dox her. And it's just like such a weird thing. Cause like you think about like these stories that come out in the 50s about aliens and you're either like it did happen or it didn't happen. Like yeah. your level of evidence yeah. is like pretty flimsy. Yeah. And now people can be like two clicks. I figured yeah. it out. Yeah, that's true. Like, we are not the same. No, no, that's true. So Fry allegedly took photos, but of course, you know, examining the footage and the film, it appears that it was a hoax. And then Fry claimed to have a doctorate degree, but the degree was a mail order no. degree. And it was the doctorate of cosmism. Which sounds like a philosophical degree, to be fair. Yeah, but it also feels like the more and more we hear about him, the more and more is just that he's he he is now just full on scam artist. Yeah, I mean, he was um, not consistent about the date. You know, mm-hmm. be like 
July 4th, 1950 or July 4th, 1949. And but he, like the other dude, creates a group or uh, starts with a monthly newsletter called Understanding. Yeah. And he, he also wants to be a cult leader. Yeah, because it gets incorporated as a non-profit corporation. Oh, no. So he starts this whole thing up, this little shenanigan, and he gets sponsors, like hundreds of lectures and meetings. He circulates thousands of books and magazines to like reach all these people that's like, oh, we're understanding among all peoples of earth and preparing them for their eventual inevitable meetings with other new, with other races in space, which like, that's still a theme. Like if you look at alien TikToks now, it's like, (laughs) see, they're preparing us for the truth. So this is like, just, I think a fun uh, UAP theme. And According to this, the Understanding Inc. are based on a foundation from Alon's ideas. Oh, no. God. And the first newsletter is published in 1956. And it has an average of 20 pages. (laughs) And it ran for 240 plus issues until 1979. By the early 1960s, it had 1,500 paid members. They were donated 55 acres of land in 1974 in Tanapa, Arizona. So here we're in Arizona. This building was actually supposed to be a religious college, but one of its features was that it was round and like saucer shaped, which is like perfect for this group, right? Of course, yeah. But by 1976, oh, they have taken over the property. But in 1978, there was a fire and the kitchen and the library were burned to the ground by an arsonist, which I didn't see anywhere like the arsonist being named and like seeing how they were losing money at this point. Ah. I kind of wonder if he just was like, fuck it. Burning this shit down. Yeah. yeah. Uh, some people actually did consider the understanding to be a cult. Uh, of course, Daniel denies this, uh, saying in a 1969 Daily Courier article, the group is not mystic, he says, and it is not a flying saucer watching organization, although some members hold definite beliefs and interests in both areas. Uh, Understanding Inc., which is a nonprofit tax exempt corporation, <laughs> sounds like a cult. Yep. Works on principles that there is nothing that members are required to believe or accept to do. Sounds like a cult, Dr. Yep. Fry said. So, yeah, obviously that's all kind of fucked. The, and then in the 70s, there was a professor of the University of Southern California that kind of studied these sort of unconventional religious and spiritual groups in the States. And during his research, he attended a meeting in Inglewood, California, that was members of the Understanding Inc. And he noted in his research that there is no particular religious practice connected with the meeting, although the New Age prayer derived from the Alice Bailey writings is used as invocation. How do you say that word? Invocation. Invocation. Thank you, Molly. (laughs) 
it's just uh, understanding ink just it just screams cold yeah it just screams cold there's uh, you would not have there's nothing else that you could possibly think it could possibly be it reminds me of like when there's like books and movie stories that are like here's a super intelligent name for something that is really just like silly and has no basis. It sounds like something from a uh, uh, Kurt Vonnegut. Book. Yeah, yeah, yep. So he he ends up publishing a lot of stuff. He gave thousands of lectures. So he's a big dude in this whole thing. So you have those are your two guys who are doing this with George Adamski. So speaking about our last guy. It's George Adamski. And um, on the day of the convention, he gives a talk and speaks about his multiple experiences with aliens, including aliens with a Caucasian or Nordic appearance, who he dubs as Space Brothers. And these aliens were presumably from Venus. And everybody, I feel like with this guy, everybody published a picture of him with these aliens being like a painting. So it's like him in the picture with a painting of these aliens, which just look like Zelda characters, like that video game. And I guess he became friends with an artist who like painted these pictures for him. Right, because he did not have any photos or anything like this. He, during his speech, so he claims to have met these aliens when they had arrived on Earth and landed in the Colorado desert on November 20th of 1952. So it is very... Oh, back in the desert. Yes. Back in the desert, around the same time. Um, similarly, he befriends the aliens and they allow him to fly their, quote, plane. Or I just realized how we were talking about the deserts were weird earlier. And we've also talked about how there's radiation in the desert. What if our reaction to the desert is just... A really a reaction to radiation. Maybe. That, that that actually, that could be. I mean, it's a thought. It's a thought. These aliens also want to talk to humans about humanity and the future of Earth. That's my favorite part about some of this alien stuff is that people are like, humans are doing some bad stuff and they need to clean it up. Yep, that, that's what the aliens would be here for. Yeah, it's like, that's a great message. I mean, it, as opposed to aliens coming here and being like, we're your God. Yeah, yeah. Or creating a God or making us slaves. Like, they're coming to say, hey, you're kind of shitty. And I just wanted to let you know as your neighbor. Adamski depicts these, I don't know how to pronounce this, Venusians? Ven- yeah. People from Venus. As being very similar to human beings in their minds and their bodies with only minor differences. So these are also very humanoid aliens. And he does stress that these aliens could look so similar they may go unnoticed among humans. These hotties are out here stealing our men. It sounds like it. Uh, Just to... Before I go into the story, just a little bit more about George Adamski. In 1951, The Day the Earth Stood Still was released in theaters. And it sounds like this, this, so this story, if you don't know, is a humanoid alien coming to Earth to give the message that the human race must live in peace or the planet will die. 
So this sounds a lot like the message that Adamski was talking about. No, this kind of bums me out. <laughs> this is like, I thought that the alien theme, and maybe this movie's based, maybe what we don't know, this movie's based on a real alien encounter. I mean, maybe, maybe, or maybe he saw the movie and then... Well, that's the thing, right? It's like yes. every alien encounter is just based on this movie, except for the Barneys. But um, so whether he was hallucinating or fantasizing this whole Venusian experience, he also... I like how you're like, it's hallucinations. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it feels like it. But because I was at first I was thinking desert hallucination. I don't know. But he also publishes other images of UFOs in the 1950s and 60s, which are later revealed to be hoaxes. So he also does become a scam artist, whether or not he believed on in them in the beginning or not. So these are what well, he's publishing must have been photographic as opposed to the paintings we're talking about. Earlier. Yes, yes. These would be later on. Also, George Adamski once claimed he had been Invited to a private ev- audience with the Pope, Pope John the Thirteenth, John Thirteenth, and had been awarded the Golden Medal of Honor by His Holiness. However, tourists in Rome may buy the same medal in a cheap plastic box. So, oh boy, here's a couple of uh, scammy scams in George Adamski's future. I don't know the Pope. That's a good one, though. <laughs> I met with the Pope because. The Pope wasn't necessarily universally liked at that time either. Sure. Yeah. And ha- no, not everyone would know that you could buy a golden tourists. medal of armor. Yeah. But back to the, the day in question. A beautiful woman in the company of two men are spotted at the end of the first day after George gives this speech. And their presence causes a commotion because the beautiful woman looks a lot like the painting of the... Venus, the person from Venus that he brings to his talk. All three people are fair skinned and the woman wears her hair in a blonde bob. Oh, my God. I just finally put this whole thing together, but I'm going to wait for the reveal before I (laughs) say what it is. The interesting thing was that uh, some of the physical features that Adamski speaks about are supposedly seen on this woman including a projecting bone structure in the middle of her forehead that extends vertical to her nose. And she's described as having deep black eyes with thick eyelashes. But when you see that pictures, she does look pretty normal. You can sort of see the bone structure, but there's also other, there's a couple different photos that you can look at and some of them look more different than others. But it does seem, looking at the pictures, it does seem kind of uncanny. Sure, sure. But it also, yeah. But I'll tell you my, I think my theory will make sense. Okay. When we get All there. Right. So here's a couple of conversations that some of our sources recorded, supposedly. They're not very um, well referenced or anything like that. These articles just kind of say this happened and we're just supposed to believe them. Well, and they all say the same thing, which makes right. me think that it's the same source material. Right, right. But we don't really know too much about it. But some of the conversations go, are you Venusians or are you not Venusians? And the woman smiles and calmly says no. 
According to InfinityExplorers.com, in another conversation, an attendee asks if she's actually from the planet Venus, in which she responds also calmly, no, she is not. Also is confusing because why would she be speaking in the third person? But who knows? That's what they recorded. <laughs> the conversation goes on. Why are you here? Quote, because we are interested in the subject. Do you believe in flying saucers? Yes. Is it true what Mr. Adamski says, that they come from Venus? Yes, they come from Venus. In the Univision.com article, they claim that uh, when asked why they were there, they said, quote, we are here because we are especially interested in the issues of the Congress, which I don't, that could also be a strange translation because it was in a, an article in Spanish. And when asked about whether extraterrestrials came from Venus, they said, yes, most of them come from that planet. This reminds me of like Easter Mass. <laughs> and there's like this whole, what is it? Pon Pontius Pilate talking to the crowd of people. Like, oh, should yeah. I crucify <laughs> yeah. this man? And everybody's like, yes, <laughs> you should. Like, that's what it was. Too. Get them. Put them on the cross. It seems interesting and yeah, there's a couple of different explanations, like, like true or not true, about what these these people may have been here for. Or like, I don't know, the responses could just be her just being like answering, not thinking that they thought that she was actually from Venus. Well, I have a theory. Should we talk about that? No, because you have to get to the next section okay. before I can say it. Sorry. All right. So no, I'm just excited. I think this is a really good theory. If I had right. read yarn right now, you would be people it would be like you're a genius, and I'd be like, I know. So when we were talking about international journalists, O Cruciero, which was a Brazilian publication and the most widely circulated magazine in South America at the time, brings a reporter to this convention, uh, Jao Mart. Martins? I don't Martins? think that's at all how you said it. And he was. <laughs> you think it's something else? Well, because Brazilian, they don't say hard J's, right? So it's like. Yow. Yeah, it's like yow or how. I don't how? know which. How? Or maybe even ho. I bet it's how. Or ha. 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 Or, or I mean, who knows? How? What? Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. sorry, Brazilian listeners. And then Mart. it's going to be like Martins. Martins. Yeah, probably. Oh, yeah, I don't think it's probably hard S, right? It's probably Martin, like a softer. Yeah. How Martin. That's how we're going to pronounce go. it. Um, so he was president at the convention and interviewed the three people. He did request a photograph of them, but they declined and were irritated by being referred to as Venusians. They declined to explain their presence at the convention to the reporter, which is Probably understandable because at this point they probably realize that people are asking them questions not because they're just there, but because of their looks. And Mar Martin at the end surprise photos them. And after being photographed, the group dashes off into the nearby woods, presumably because they feel like they're being harassed. Some claim to have seen a UFO depart shortly afterwards, though no photos are taken of this part. And then and this is where Martine discovers the woman had entered her name as Dolores Barrios in the guest book. And her companions were Donald Morand, Morand and Bill Jackman. 
Later on researching who these people are, he finds Dolores Barrios is a New York fashion designer and Donald Morand and Bill Jackman are musicians from Manhattan Beach, California. Okay, so this is what happened. These musicians go to New York because they're musicians. That's what you did. Sure. They meet this fashion model slash fashion designer. And they're like, you should come with us on this road trip to California. And she's like, yeah, I don't have a life. Sounds cool. I just like doing heroin. So she ends up in a bad heroin deal or maybe a bad acid trip because we, again, this is a hot pocket for both these things. Yep. And then she ends up modeling for this weird alien guy she meets. He's like, I got heroin. She's like, cool. I'm into that. And then she models for the painting. <laughs> and then he's like, hey, guess what? I'm having a convention. Oh, you guys should come check it out. And they're like, sounds cool, bro. Or groovy, man. Whatever they said back then. And then they go there. And it's obvious that she is the painting and people are like, oh, my God. And then it's kind of like, yeah, we are the aliens or no, we're not. But we're giggly about it. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. And that's what I think happened. You know what? This makes a lot of sense. I don't mind it. I'm a fucking genius. Mystery solved. Close the (laughs) door. Don't do heroin. So tell us who Dolores is. She appears to be a real person who lived a happy life. Married and raised a large family before dying in 2008. However, but that's crazy because if that's the same person, that means at some point someone doxed her or like put together yeah. like this has to be the woman. Which is it's hard to say because at the same time, Bridget mentioned this when we first were looking up this woman. You have to say Venus or New York fashion designer. Oh, yeah. Or something, because there's a lot of Dolores Barrios out there. Yeah, they are. Like, it's kind of nuts. It's like, I there's a lot of obits. <laughs> right. So it's, it's hard to say that, however they figure this out. But yeah, also, that name had a good run, I'll tell you that much. And also, of course, the UFO investigative community uh, believes that Dolores Barrios was probably a name that she may have taken from a deceased woman. I mean, it was already a very popular name, as you can see, with yes, just yes. us alone trying to Google her. <laughs> so it would have been like the same as having like the name Jane Doe or something. Right. But it also appears that a lot of people, not I mean, maybe not a lot, but it was pretty regular practice that people could have, you know, taking on new identities is not something unheard of. And yeah, especially if you are a CIA, CIA operative, there's, there's a lot of reasons why maybe you would change your name or take on a different identity. You're a narc in in the fifties, the fifties. You're going to tell people where to get the dragon. I don't know what you call it. The name for hash. Sure. Sure. Another interesting part of this was that. Yao How is that what we call them? How Martin? How ve- Yao? Yes, he was very obsessed with this story, and supposedly he might have gone to New York to look for Dolores, um, but never actually found any information about her. On the other hand, Adamski believed the group of three were attempting to discredit him by posing as Venusians. He didn't See, like that's them. smart. He, well, he was like, you can't. <laughs> Give it away that he's like yeah. doing acid with these kids. He's got to be like, I don't know them. I've never seen them before. Never seen them before in my life. Exactly. That's very smart. Let's see what you're doing. Now, 
just a last bit of kind of gam artistry. It wasn't just the alien lovers who were, well, I mean, I guess he is kind of also. <laughs> the contactees. The contactees. Also, Yao Martin has some scam in him. So on May 7th of 1952, Martin and photographer, photographer, <laughs> photographer, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's a word. I gotcha. <laughs> no I've met some photographers. <laughs> I'm a photographer sometimes. Ugh. Photographer Ed Keffel were reporting on stories of couples enjoying the deserted beach of Cabramar in Rio de Janeiro's West Zone. And after a few sessions of interviews with couples at the beach, they claimed to have seen a blue-gray flying object, which was circular, and it emerged before flying off. And Okay, Keffel- <laughs> I'm sorry. I am very distracted that this story started off with they were reporting stories of <laughs> couples enjoying the deserted beach. Yeah, I mean, that to me, that sounds like, okay, obviously this was just a scam. Like, An why else would you be scam. out? Yeah, insane scam. Like, like you'd be like, yeah, oh yeah, it's, couples enjoying the beach. <laughs> this sounds like a good story. But then you saw aliens. Yep. That the, this is very sus. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. This. I mean, a lot of these they're all pretty sus. Keffel was able to take five photographs and publish them in Diario de Note, which was a sensational tabloid. Ooh, spicy. They're probably going to sell them the couple pictures. Or maybe uh, they did. Maybe I mean, that's what a the different yeah. issue. <laughs> that, that's probably true, actually. Um, and then the following morning, allegedly, we have several military personnel, including a c- Colonel Jack Welly Hughes, who was stationed at the U.S. Embassy, inspected these photographs and concluded that they were authentic. So the photos are then published in O Crucerio, which was the larger magazine with the widespread publication in South America. Uh, but the problem comes when the photos are studied later and they are clearly fake. Ooh, the study shows that the shadows of the elements are varied and not at all how they would naturally occur. Oh, boy. It's believed that this saucer was a later addition to the photo. Well, there you go. So um, all of our our main characters are kind of scammers. So it's yeah. harder to believe their other stories when there's a lot of scamming going on. But I got to say, the headline you see about this story is that it's like the woman from Venus. But then everything you read, it's like, no one actually claimed they're from no. Venus except for Martine. Yep. Yeah. And it was really more just like people putting their own projections onto this woman. Yeah. Well, that was a fun one. That was a fun one. Molly, where can people find you to have more fun? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at MollyM9. Nope. I'm on Blue Sky now. Molly M. <laughs> I was like, okay, you're back. Okay. No, I'm not. I'm never going back there. It's deleted now. So, oh boy. Uh, how about you? Uh, you can find me at Blue Sky at Bridget F. You can find this podcast at Sex with Ghosts underscore Instagram and Twitter. Oh, I also have an Instagram 
that you could check out called Advents Bridget. And you show support by giving us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast or going to patreon.com slash sex with ghosts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.